Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me is my parole officer, Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil? Your probation isn't ending anytime soon. However, we do have something new this week. Our first manga, Attack on Titan Volume 1, by Hajime Isayama and a bunch of assistants who aren't named. Yes, we're diving into the world of manga, and yeah, it's possible we may end up just talking about the general differences between American and Japanese comics more so than this one specifically, because it is quite a different tradition. Well, I'll wager I've read substantially more manga and watched far more anime than you. I, well, yes, that's almost certainly true, but I'm not not a total stranger to the genre. I remember when I was... In high school, I used to hang out at the local library and read the the manga that was there. I used to do that at the bookstore without paying for it, back when there were still bookstores. Oh, so you were one of those people. I occasionally bought things. Yeah. But yes, on to Attack on Titan specifically. What do you think? I was a big fan of the show, but I'd never really read the manga until now. It's... Another interesting point of comparison, because the show has, I believe, the animation is by the same studio that did Death Note, so it's incredibly beautiful. It, it's very fluid, it's detailed, but it also has, like, very defined ca- characters and edges. Like, there's kind of a thick outline around every person that definitely is not something we see here because this is super sketchy in like every aspect like one of the weird things i had going through the art on this is that i was impressed with like i found myself impressed with some of the things that were like specific to manga like one minor thing is how like and i remember this from other times i've read manga how they handle panel borders the the borders that separate tiers and are much wider than the borders that separate images within the same tier. So at a glance, the tiers read as like contained units. So you never like it just helps the reading order because like your eye wants to jump to the closest thing, so you finish a tier first. And there's a whole bunch of like little tricks like that that Western Comics just hasn't seemed to pick up. But on top of this, I don't think it's particularly well drawn, all told. To be fair, I think the scale we're looking at it at is not the scale in which it's meant to be read, as manga volumes are significantly smaller than American comics. I suppose that wouldn't be true in serialized magazines like Shonen Jump, though, so I can get your point. And yeah, there is there are a lot of rough edges and... A lot of scenes that deliver where the character anatomy gets a bit off, I, probably for expression purposes. But still, it's it's definitely a shock from the super polished look of the anime. I imagine an animated show is working with somewhat more of a budget than a comic, even one in Shonen Jump. True, and also we might as well get to the overall aesthetic, which became your major point of contention for this a lot of effort put into 
this designing this world for those who aren't familiar with Attack on Titan. Oh, yeah, we should, we the should story, about. just because it has its own anime and video games and alternate universe junior high sitcom spinoff doesn't mean everyone knows about it. Wait, really? It it has a high school AU? Yes, it does. Attack on Titan, Titan Junior High. I've not gone so far as to actually see it myself, but... Huh. So basically, the setting is, it takes place in this kind of steampunk-era German sit- city that's enclosed in walls to keep out these giant monsters called Titans that have killed the rest of humanity. And there are three walls within the city, concentric rims. It opens with the Titans destroying what the outermost wall and we see the protagonist Aaron Yeager is a boy and his mother is eaten in front of him by a Titan and that leads him to go on his crusade of revenge against Titans. The Titans well, being we, giant naked people. Yeah, they're like these really weird, usually skinless, kind of uncanny valley creatures. If they weren't so large and murderous they might actually be kind of a pug like ugly cute i mean it's they don't all look like lovecraftian horrors some of them just look a bit more like a oversized bill dotrieve i don't know what that is but anyway bill from king of the hill oh yes yeah i see i see a bit of that and of course i saw someone made an image of a titan bill being fought by hank whose omd gear is powered by propane and propane accessories (laughs) and it's so it's definitely got this clear aesthetic of germany which in terms of the story which is very much about the other encroaching upon society and trying and Aaron being the only one at first who doesn't believe we're safe inside the walls that we have to fight back against the menace but that's how you saw it right yeah um we sort of had um uh yes we sort of had alternate takes on what the story meant um we both had like political readings of the story but Neil was perhaps a bit more generous than I was um, yeah, I I think this may be the most right-wing comic I've ever read, but Neil seems to think it's more akin to Fight Club in that it's actually a satire. It, it wouldn't even go that far, but I mean, no. first of all, the fact that it uses European character names and aesthetics sets it out from sets it apart from a lot of manga, and it might be a reason why it's become so popular in the West that it's easier for us to pick up on. And Japan is not nearly as diverse a country as America, so the subtleties might not even have occurred. Like, everyone in this is white except Aaron's friend Mikasa, who's, I guess, vaguely Asian. They, But I didn't think it was so... And yes, the designs are cool. Like the characters have snazzy uniforms. They have impressive regalia and flags for being part of the Survey Corps, making the lonely standing as the Titans. You described it as being steampunk, but outside of the main gadgets, I'm not sure that really applies. It more reminded me of ancient Rome, but with the Ring City, and there's like crests on everything. I said steampunk because that's kind of the level of 
tech in the OMD gear. Like, there's a very specific way in which the humans fight back against the Titans. They have this bizarre gas-powered rig that attaches around the belt that launches a tightrope from building the building, and they kind of glide along it with swords. They're also powered by the rig. And the Titans only have one weak point, which is the back of the neck, and they have to slash exactly there. Yes, it's the sort of thing that would make a great boss fight in a video game where you have to Spider-Man your way up to the big giant baddie's neck. True. Apparently, Isayama had a scientist friend who helped him come up with how to make the OMD gear omnidirectional movement gear. ODM, actually. That's... But... Anyway. But it is definitely cool. It is, like, the fact that it's such a specialized and hard-to-use weapon they have as their pretty much only thing against Titans up until later chapters, but you didn't read those. Yeah, I I only did the reading that was assigned. Neil was a more dedicated student and read ahead. That was part of what fueled your, your reading of what was going on. Being the overachieving nerd I am, as well as having watched the first season of the anime in its entirety and part of the second season, I know that there's more to it than just these noble soldiers with their slick outfits and their cool, bizarrely technologically advanced for the era weapon fighting against this inhuman, non-Aryan menace, but past that it gets into much a much bigger story about what are the titans where they come from who benefits from them being around and keeping humanity penned in plus the fact that they go into detail about the class system within the walls like the rich people are in the innermost wall and everyone else is closer to the outer walls where the titans are much closer too but this is getting way away from the pictures yes um yeah well i'm sure we'll get back into more of the plot of this thing but yeah you were talking about the anatomy of the titans being distorted and i like i'm almost certain that's like deliberately true but it's well well there you go but it's sort of doesn't read as well because the anatomy on the human characters is also a little distorted. We the story opens up with like the two protagonists as kids wandering around and they have giant heads and yeah they they read as really short like really short adults rather than kids at least to my eyes. I didn't notice really but I mean the the head as a child is larger than proportionally to the rest than the rest of the body compared to as an adult like not bobblehead type anatomy but there is precedent for that oh yeah there is like it's in reality kid like yeah well proportionally kids heads are larger like they're not just scaled down adults but yeah and it's also the fact that we don't really see a lot of the bodies of of the characters everyone is very fully clothed in this especially as kids like mikasa always has her her scarf covering part of her face which if you'd read ahead you'd know is kind of a tragic keepsake with a big story behind it but and the others they're all wearing 
long sleeves with jackets on the outside. So I don't it did maybe it didn't read as much to me because the any underlying anatomy problems weren't so bad that they peeked through the clothes. Also, a lot of this is close-ups. Like, they'll get to sections where characters are having a conversation and they're not afraid of having, like, almost all the panels be close-ups of a face. I'm not sure. Well, that is something I've seen a lot in manga, like, trying to get the most visual information out and visual, meaningful information out of page. And it's really this this more compact emotional drive where even like a con- casual conversation, there's a lot of emoting. It does keep it interesting and it makes it read faster. You say a lot of emoting, but mostly this main kid is just being angry and shouting at everyone. That's emoting. I mean, I, okay, one of the fair. reasons why you thought... I saw this as a subversion of fascism, like Fight Club, is that Aaron Yeager, even as a little boy, is not emotionally healthy. Like, his anger is at the Titans is of murderous intensity, even before he watches his mother eaten in front of him. He's driven, he's driven by a lust for revenge, and... It's actually kind of frightening at times, especially in the second chapter. But the frustration with this read for the pictures format is that a lot of what they're setting up here in the art relates to the larger story. It was very long. Like, this was longer than um, 30 Days of Night. Well, how long does it take you to read a comic page? Well, there were how many pages in this? Like 160, 180? Reading a bunch of chapters that would have been serialized, but... Yeah, there were, like, 208 pages in this. This is... So, yeah, it took me the full seven days. Really? Nah. Maybe, because I I knew exactly what was going to happen, I moved through it faster. There's also the fact that I read comics really fast and don't have the best reading comprehension recall afterwards, but... I suppose that's why we do the show, just to double back and make sure we've got everything. And it's it's funny doing like um when we did Thirty Days of Night, like that was nice doing one whole contained unit of the story, which got us away from some of the problems of doing single issues, where we had to speculate. That's like, oh, maybe more was set up before this, or maybe this will pay off down the line. This is almost like re- reading one issue because, like, obviously it was serialized in a magazine. So I, yeah. Well, if you got it in a magazine, you'd be getting a bunch of other stories and series with it. So, yeah, but yeah, this doesn't really like it has a bit of an arc. Like it sort of wraps up this training thing and then gets started on the next big assault. But yeah, you couldn't really just say like, oh, volume one is one story and then volume two is another. This is just like a cup out of the stream, so to speak. This would be like the first three episodes of the anime. Though that had more character moments and it fleshed out more of the supporting cast than this does. It's often the case because with the anime being produced afterwards, they can flesh things out more. So we see more of characters like Potato Girl. I That completely over my head. The... 
You didn't even get to see the Potato Girl memes. I just got the first volume, buddy. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, well, moving on. It's It did read fast, fast for me. It took you the whole week to read it, you said. Yeah, that's just because I'm slow, though. And you felt like it had an issue's worth of content? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know. I don't think it's unfair to take the first, like this first volume and then like read it and then pass like develop and like have a like a reading of it as a like work of art it's it is difficult true that since everything we do with our reviews seems to be in a mind-bogglingly diverse number of contexts and it always seems to be in comparison with everything else i guess that's the nature of life and art and cognition that nothing exists in a vacuum but you really want me to watch the anime don't you yes but besides that perhaps our exercise in reading it for the pictures is to try to drop all that and just focus on the pictures but that's still really hard when we know exactly what what or at least what we think the story is trying to say with the pictures, and we're judging it against that. Yeah. And we can't just go back and say, sometimes a guy in a tightrope cutting a giant monster down with a sword by, by the neck is just a guy on a tightrope cutting a monster down with a sword on the neck, as yeah. Freud would put it. Yes. But um, I did have a few just art-specific notes. Um because it's black and white, it seems to be much more aware of, like, tone, like, like visually. Um, it seems to, like, want to, con- like, it controls that a lot better. Like, when they get into crowd scenes, like, the individual, like, the detail and, like, sometimes they'll just have lines over stuff to make it be, a, a like, a darker tone to separate it out from other stuff they in the use, scene. Uh- shitload of hatching here to create not just light but also mass and oftentimes in action scenes like the entire mass of the characters becomes hatchy lines i guess to show it in the illusion of motion i think it's pretty impressive but uh yeah there are a few points in this where it sort of changes how things are drawn like uh, the big thing that stands out to me is the bar fight a little bit halfway through everything sort of becomes very scratchy lines, and if I'm recalling right, I don't think there are any, like, solid blacks in there. Yeah, like, trying to make it seem more frenetic. True. Well, it's not a bar fight, it's a mess hall fight, because they're all underage. Ah, yes, my bad. Yeah, I suppose, like, when you haven't got colour to work with, you start to be a bit more creative about what you can do with ink. True, I remember that when I was doing black and white comics. It's... But the textures do seem kind of universal here. Like, there's hatchy lines even on the edges of the extremely detailed and precise ODM gear. Um, There are speed lines everywhere. They're not shy about speed lines. Well, if you removed a lot of the speed lines, they'd just be floating in a white void in most scenes. Uh, That's true for a fair few of them. Speed lines are deliberate. I think... A lot of detail is put into the setting and the city and the walls. It it's not like they're just fighting on a flat field. Like they're 
moving through buildings and crowded spaces. And clearly the, the kind of Gothic architecture of the place was meticulously designed. You can see details that pretty sure a computer made and not a human hand when it comes to the outside, probably by one of the assistants that manga artists tend to have. Yeah, a lot of the scenes inside this mess hall, I got the sense that they were done with someone with different priorities than the guy doing the the figures. Well, that's usually how it works. Like, the main artist is the creator who gets the front billing and comes up with the story and characters and draws, like, the character stuff and the important emoting. And then they hire a team of assistants to do the other stuff, like the backgrounds or... Sometimes they'll bring in specialists to help them out with specific mechanical details. I guess that's what they did to design the ODM gear. Yeah. So, like, I don't, but a lot of this seems to be a conscious choice to have, like, a really sketchy style that's fairly universal. Possibly. I was actually talking to a friend who does a, well, at least he has done podcasts on manga. Um, Mac, uh, Maxi, I'll throw him a link in the uh, show notes. But he was saying that this was um, pitched around to a few companies and got rejected before it finally um, got published. I heard about that. I heard before they get a publisher and a salary and the ability to hire assistants, they have to submit like a first draft to a company. And from what I gather, the first draft of Attack on Titan was far from the same quality. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe shouldn't be too mean about the figure work being a bit rough in places. Perhaps it was like perhaps like we don't have a before and after to go off. Well, I do kind of like the this kind of sketchy style that's very unmistakably drawn and creates an illusion of motion. It does remind me quite a bit of Frank Miller in his prime, who was, of course, influenced by manga himself. Kind of recursive influences. Influenced by kind of, Frank Miller, you say? I know we weren't nice to the Dark Knight comic we did, and I know that we are far from nice to Frank Miller in general due to his kind of descent into right-wing madness, but yeah, he I'm could not- really draw. I'm not sure, quite sure I'm seeing the influence here, but well, yeah. the the kind of exaggerated anatomy, the sketchy lines, definitely the focus on rather gratuitous violence. I don't know if this was consciously influenced by Frank Miller or not, but that's what came to mind. It seemed like a reasonable hypothesis. Yeah, one thing that is uh, worth uh, mentioning is um, how the like, like Japanese being a different language um, impacts on the art. They um they're not afraid of using like just kanji to show sounds, which has somewhat of an advantage over like English because they can have it read in whichever direction they like they want. And they in this version they have this translation of the sound, which is kind of awkwardly tag alongside. Yeah, like they'll have a kanji that like reads mostly from top. Like there'll be symbols that are going from the top to the bottom, and also next to it they'll have like 
the English word written out, like whoosh or whatever. But when you read the English, you need to go on the first one you read from, like the first little whoosh you read from left to right, and then you drop down from left to right. But with the kanji, you can just flow straight down, which, yeah, I meant, like, that's just a trick that the English language, like, English language comics don't have access to. True. Like, I mean, I suppose we get the the sense that there's a sound and, like, it, like how the kanji are written differently. Like, sometimes it's an outline, sometimes it's, like, just really rough, like, ink splotches. But because we don't have that connection to what that kanji means immediately, somewhat lost on us. True, but it does express motion very well in a way that I don't think our character set in English does. Also, another thing is that all their all the word balloons are taller than they are wide. Yeah, and they don't really have tails either. Yeah, well, like English comics could do the like this really small tails, but because like Japanese, you can like write it down the panel rather rather than having to write it across. Like, yeah, manga gets to work with the that bubbles that are in portrait rather than landscape, which seems to. Like, I don't know, it seems to fit better. True. Would you be interested in seeing a colorized version of this? Like, of this first volume? Yeah. I mean, I suppose it'd be interesting to compare and contrast, but, like, this is the, like, intended output from the creator, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, like when you see recolored um, Kirby comics, however nice it is and however subtle the gradients are, like, part of me always just thinks this isn't what Kirby intended. No, but since when has the world cared about what Kirby intended, or at least of, least of all Marvel? Yeah. Oh, dear. Poor Kirby. <laughs> right, that elephant in the room. Still, we've been talking about this for about a half hour, and... Yeah, I'm just going through my notes and just checking off all the start spe- stuff specifically to do with the art that we've talked about i've think we've basically i kind of bristled at your statement that it was the most right-wing thing you'd ever read in comics because as i was saying like there's kind of a fascist undercurrent to the concept of hero fiction in general like the individual forcing their perspective on the others with violence and they get away with it because they have justice on their side that's right folks we um did what we could to front load as much of the art discussion as we can and now me and neil are going to butt heads about political readings of this comic so if um this that's not your jam feel free to check out now yes that that was the fuel for my wanting to do this especially but yeah, but I mean, it's like I actually didn't see it as that political. Yeah, mm. perhaps, perhaps I should present my reading of it first, since I just had this to go off. Okay. Yeah, the story opens with like there's a short little interlude of pe- of like a band of hunters going out to get a titan, but our story proper starts with a very angry child running around and then going up and berating soldiers who are just sitting around and basically talking about how they enjoy that they've had a hundred years of peace. And our very angry child is talking about how they are weak and they've been made soft and being inside this safe society is like being caged. 
and I don't know, like if those guards were were wearing t-shirts that just said liberal across them, it didn't. It'd basically be like a right wing cartoon, like a maybe. And after that, and of course, the people who have gotten used to the safety are immediately proven wrong when the new stronger titans come in and eat everyone. Yes, it's like just having like they do have a huge city, and they talk like 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 you've told me that further along down the line, the story digs deeper into like issues within the city. But just from reading this, it seemed like basically fine inside the walls. And well, a lot of people in this world aspire to kind of military police jobs within the walls, especially within the most inner walls, because it's basically a cushy job and you get to push people around. Yeah, but then our our child hero who's willing to speak up to the liberal media goes up and says, "No, we we should be much more militarized. We should be going out and hunting these things." Which yeah. Well, first of all, we are dealing with a story that's inherently about conflict, war, and violence. So, yes, they're going to have to fight the Titans. The Titans, inhuman monsters that don't... I mean, I said they're like the other, but they're not like racist caricatures. They're just bizarre and huge and disturbing, and they want to eat us all. And it's... I'm still kind of surprised that you extrapolated that much more from it. I guess all the Germanic aesthetics here gave you that impression, but first of all... I'm not sure I really connected it to the German stuff specifically. Really? Then how do you get... Like, I don't know, just a a small child, like, shouting that we should be more militarized just seems... I don't know, do you not see it? Not really, because... A lot of that is contextualized in the character. Maybe maybe I'm still clinging to kind of the illusion I used to have that we are reading a story about characters rather than a big artistic statement. And well, it can be both, but I like guess. that's that's Aaron. That's the way he's always been. He's just angry and he mouths off and he doesn't use his head and he basically has Mikasa to rely on to keep him from getting himself killed. And like I that's, mean, like yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like he stepped out of character to soapbox about some obvious out issue outside the comic. Yeah, and I'll, like obviously know, there just, are multiple readings that can exist for like something, so it's not really a matter of being right or wrong. I wish it was honestly, because as with the Fight Club example, a lot of people take their readings into very bizarre territory outside the work. And I'm not saying you did that because the Fight Club was a big influence on MRAs and other douchebags. And also, maybe it's weird that I'm the one saying, like, there isn't that much politics in it. But I I kind of read a lot of Attack on Titan as, like, a number of layers. Like, there's this character story of kind of man versus nature. Like, if Aaron is Ahab and the Titans are whales, also kind of an existential reading, like the fact that humanity is basically doomed and even their attempts to fight back are basically just prolonging the inevitable, especially 
in the second volume. Yes, yes. Mikasa, we learn more about her and her life and why she's so devoted to keeping Aaron alive. And she has, like, the philosophy, this is a cruel world and I have a place in it. But she's also a mostly heroic character in that she'll do what the right thing and help people who need it and disobey orders for the greater good. Though once anything's happening to Aaron, that's she immediately forgets all that and just goes to protecting him. A bit of a weird kind of codependent dynamic there. And you could also read it as kind of like a deliberate deconstruction of typical shonen tropes. Like this is a boy's adventure story. It just has much higher stakes, much more graphic violence, and the kind of character type you usually see, like the kid driven to be the best, aren't don't really work out as such a good thing. Like Aaron is dangerously unhinged. His friend Armin, the kid with kind of the bull cut, is a much more cerebral and curses himself for being so afraid and feel like he's cowardly, but his intelligence and strategic ability is far more valuable than the brute force. Yeah, there was a bit of that that came into this volume, huh? So I'd like to think that Attack on Titan is a wonderful onion with all kinds of layers or walls, as would be more appropriate metaphor, and that it doesn't lend itself to just one overriding reading to say some the way something like say, Frank Miller's Holy Terror would. And by the way, that is the most right-wing comic I've ever read, and I don't think you have the right to diss Attack on Titan for that role until you read Holy Terror. And normally I wouldn't suggest anyone read Holy Terror because it's such an ungodly, hateful piece of shit, but... Yeah, I was thinking, if you you want me to read um, Holy Terror, man, you must be really angry at me. Uh, I'm just angry in general. You happen to be in the general radius of my rage. Yes. But we are going to have to do Holy Terror at some point. Actually, no, we don't have to read Holy Terror. Okay, so what do I have to do to get you to read Holy Terror? I I don't know. Do I have to fly across the Pacific and drop it off on your doorstep? Strap me up. You are witnessing a terrible comic. But yes, I don't know. Maybe $500 on a Patreon level. Yeah, well, others have reviewed Holy Terror, like Linkara of Atop the Fourth Wall did it, so I guess... Yeah, so if you guys out there are eager to find out what Holy Terror is about, talk to someone else. Or hit us with big sacks of money. Yeah, or that. Yeah. But yes, Neil's angry at me, and this... I'm um, not angry... I repeat, I'm not angry at you. This just became something to latch onto for my free-floating anger. Yes. But at least we've got the podcast as a record and ca- to be presented in court if it has to. The but, case of Caput v. Clark. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, I think that's, like, enough said about Attack on Titan. Um, I had a reading out of it, and Neil wants to hit me with a bunch of stuff from further volumes, which, like, I don't know. Like, with something that comes out in, like, a weekly magazine format, like, yeah, you, like, it's, it's kind of weird how do you, like, judge it other than just the whole thing. Well, 
how do we judge anything? I found myself kind of longing for the days when I just thought superheroes were cool. And there wasn't all this stuff about how fascist they are or aren't around them. Yes. But but speaking of how things were and good old-fashioned adventure stories, we're going to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, aren't we, Neil? Yes, I suggested for next week that we look at Star Wars Skywalker Strikes Volume 1 by written by Jason Aaron and illustrated by John Cassidy Day because you apparently have a lot of feelings about Star Wars, and I don't want to be the one who's just ranting and raving all the time while you get to be the straight man and just sit back. Yes, next time I will be dishing out my hot takes on the war with the stars. Well, the fact that we're discussing this stuff at all is probably more than we can get out of a Star Wars interqual since it's set between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. But, yeah, movie tie-ins next. We also finally seem to have listeners now, so we are open to requests. We can't promise we'll get to everything requested, but... Yeah, hello, listeners. If you have ideas of what you'd want to see us talk about and discuss in meandering detail that often gets off the purported topic, let us know. Yeah, but anyway, um, where can people find you online, Neil? I'm at wirecats.com, which is currently on a bit of a hiatus as I'm trying to manage real life alongside the diminishing time and energy to make the art, but it will be back. It will be back. And you can find my stuff at daveclarkart.com. And that's Clark with an E. And until next time, see ya. Bye.